0: We have been working, sort of full steam, responding and tracking information operations surrounding the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So part of the reason we wanted to uh, put something out, um, capturing some of our work, is just to take a moment to reflect on what we've seen, see if we can gain some ground truth, while also understanding that things are still very much in motion. That's Alden Wallstrom. He's a
1: senior analyst on Mandiant's information operations team. The research we're discussing today is titled The IO Offensive Information Operations Surrounding the Russian Invasion of Ukraine. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Let's go through it together. I mean, can, can you walk us through what are some of the key things
0: here that uh, caught the eye of you and your colleagues? As we've been, been monitoring uh, IO surrounding the Russian invasion, uh, one thing that we would know is that what we've observed is probably best described as a proliferation of information operations activity involving a full spectrum of actors that have leveraged a range of TP- TTPs. Operations that we've observed, uh, we've been able to, to capture some that we assess to be operating in support of the political interests of Russia, Belarus, China, and Iran, some of which uh, we have also been able to attribute to actors and campaigns that we've been tracking tracking for years. A couple of general uh, notes about what we've been seeing. Um, first, is that uh, in instances where we have been able to attribute an operation to, to a known activity set, these, these operations have large, largely tracked with uh, an actor or campaign's established motives as observed through their longer activity history extending before this conflict. Hmm. And second is that um, though the range of TTPs that we've observed employed is, is notable— on an individual level, um, the actual TTPs have largely met expectations, uh, meaning that we've either seen them generally employed uh, in different operations uh, over the years, or we have specifically seen them in operations that have previously targeted Ukraine.
1: Can we take a, a little step back and, and just uh, for the folks in our audience who might be uh, unclear, how exactly do you at Mandiant define
0: information operations themselves? Influence activity has a spectrum, uh, and there's a you know a, an overt side which can even include things like, say, state-backed media, where where media is used to promote uh, narratives that are aligned with the state's interests. Mm. Um, but there's also a covert side of that spectrum, which is is more along the side that that we focus on, and that is information operations, um, which we would define our focus as. Tracking activity that is a politically motivated efforts to manipulate the information environment using deceptive tactics or coordinated and inauthentic online assets. And specifically, as an information operations team at Mandiant, uh, we have an emphasis on cyber-enabled information operations, which means these are information operations that additionally leverage tactics associated with more traditional cyber threat activity which allows us to take advantage of the visibility that we can gain through um, working with our colleagues at Mandiant who work on other more traditional cyber threat activity.
1: So the research that you all have published here breaks the activity down into a, a number of different categories. Can we go through those and, and have you describe some of the, the things that you all are
0: tracking? So I think a, a good place to start is uh, the Russia-aligned activity, which for, for that... Operations that we've observed uh, from from Russia-aligned activity sets have employed the greatest range of TTPs. Hmm. They have targeted audiences in Ukraine and Western countries and Russian domestic audiences as well, with narratives that appear intended either to demoralize the Ukrainian population, uh, to divide Ukraine from its allies and partners, or to bolster perceptions of Russia and its actions. So... I think a good place to start in that is, is operations that have targeted Ukraine specifically, which has uh, been the outsized proportion of, of that activity. Hmm. We have seen, uh, for example, uh, campaigns that, that we've been tracking for years, such as the secondary infection campaign, promote various narratives around the conflict. One example is an operation uh, that we observed earlier this year in which the promoted narrative claimed that President Zelensky had uh, committed suicide in in a bunker, uh, mm-hmm. hiding out during a military operation. That particular operation uh, is a limited run in terms of narrative promotion, and we've seen other other narratives promoted by secondary infection, um, but it's just one of many actors that we've we've been observing. So. Another example of activity that we've seen is a uh, what we would assess to be a coordinated network of pro-Russian telegram accounts hmm. that have targeted the Ukrainian population. Something interesting about, about them from the top is that uh, the Ukrainian government has assessed them to be information operations assets run by... Russian military intelligence, so the GRU, and we cannot independently confirm from that attribution. Um, but it's certainly interesting when looking at their uh, timeline of activity. These accounts have been promoting narratives related to regional and national issues in Ukraine for a number of years. And as soon as the invasion happened, they almost immediately refocused to promote uh, narratives related to the Russian invasion. And the way in which they do this is sort of interesting. So it is distinctly pro-Russian in, in what they're saying, but in a bit of a more nuanced manner. So instead of actively promoting the arrival of Russian troops per se, uh, they work a little bit more uh, sneakily in, in, in what they do. And they say things like, do you really have confidence in, in the government's response to uh, the Russian invasion? Look how they're mishandling it or highlighting allegations of corruption in, in government activity surrounding uh, their response to the Russian invasion. So mm. it, it's a bit more focused on perhaps attempting to undercut citizens' confidence in the government, but it still is working in Russian interests.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. Kind of sowing those seeds of doubt.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, you know a, a key possible motive of some of the operations we've been seeing, which is is really just expanding fear and uncertainty, exploiting that am- amongst the population. And another good example of that is we've had multiple uh, instances, multiple operations where uh, fake messages of Ukraine's capitulation to Russia have been promoted. Now, that's something that is pretty easily disprovable, right? If, if one has access to the news or, or is able to check in on, on what's been going on. But these have included defacements of government, regional and local websites, uh, as well as a defacement of a Ukrainian news organization. So... Uh, The fact that these messages are being displayed or or promoted, even if it is mitigated quickly, on what would otherwise be considered verified sources of information is definitely something to be concerned about um, when you talk about spreading fear or uncertainty.
1: You know, I, I think it's fair to say Russia has a, a limited number of allies uh, in this invasion of Ukraine, but um, the Belarusians uh, seem to have their back, and that's something that you all have tracked
0: here. What, what sort of things are, are you seeing from them? So uh, we we have tracked for a number of years the the Ghostwriter uh, information operations campaign, uh, which we attribute at least partially to to Belarus. Hmm. And we have observed some activity from the campaign uh, related to the Russian invasion. So uh, at the end of April, we identified an operation that was promoting the narrative that there was a criminal ring in Poland uh, that was dealing in the illegal trade of human organs and targeting Ukrainian refugees uh, in that. It's sort of a pernicious narrative that you can see rather quickly why it would be concerning, right? It both has the potential to... Undermine the confidence of of U- Ukrainians who are fleeing to Poland and, and their trust in the Polish government, and also potentially to to raise tensions between Poland and Ukraine, which Ukraine is obviously monitoring that situation as well of of, of where uh, Ukrainian citizens have fled to. But fortunately, it was it seems to have been engaged rather rather quickly, and um, I mean, in terms of an operation, it it exhibited classic tendencies of ghostwriter operations. So they tend to try to piggyback on recent news events or discussions um, in, in the way that they build their narratives. And a real discussion that has been, has been playing out in the media is concerns about the safety of res- refugees and possible human trafficking. So it's possible um, this, this disinformation narrative promoted by the campaign was an attempt to, to piggyback on that real and important discussion.
1: One of the other uh, elements that you all highlight here is um, information that may be coming from Iran and pro-Iranian information. You're dealing with some of the players
0: in the Middle East. What are you seeing there? We've observed uh, a number of operations that have uh, that we've assessed to be uh, in Iran's interest, including some linked to campaigns that we have tracked, uh, in, such as the Liberty Front Press and uh, one that we've dubbed Roaming Mayfly. And something interesting about this is that it appears to be a somewhat opportunistic leveraging of the uh, Ukraine invasion narrative. So they are taking the narrative and spinning it in a way that sort of continues to pursue established um, Iranian interests or or specific interests of the campaign. One example is, uh, say, a narrative that highlights Or alleges that the West uh, has ignored suffering in Arab countries and in conflicts that have played out um, in Arab countries for, say, for example, Yemen, and suddenly has given significant attention to the situation in Ukraine. So there's there's a bit of an implied an implied statement of of maybe discrimination or racism on the side of the West, but also. Uh, A narrative like that allows uh, these operations to target classic targets of of pro-Iran information operations. Um, They take a shot at the West uh, with a mention of of something like a conflict in Yemen. They're also able to to, to take aim at uh, Saudi Arabia as well. Um, So it sort of appropriates the narratives that we've been seeing and then just applies it for their established uses.
1: To what degree are, are these sorts of information operations efforts a, a standard part of uh, of war? Of, you know, in this case, Russia invading Ukraine. Um, is it happening in the other direction? Is Ukraine using their own information operations in the other direction?
0: I think certainly, I mean, psychological operations and, and various uh, uh Iterations of that are, are definitely a standard component of war. Um, we haven't tracked necessarily information operations targeted in the other direction just based on what we've been observing. But um, one, one example is that we have seen active hacktivist uh, activity sort of going in both directions. Um, and claims claims of, of hacktivist activity targeting Russia and likewise an, an hacktivist activity targeting Ukraine. So there, there does seem to at least be a duality in, in the information operations activity, whether or not it can be attributed to a specific source or, or actual activist groups.
1: What are the take-homes for you and your colleagues on this report? I mean, it, it seems as though, you know, with the internet, with the cyber age that um – we're in a different type of warfare than perhaps we
0: were in in the past. An important takeaway here is, is you know, to a degree, this is is something that, that one could expect in terms of uh, activity that you would imagine happening uh, related to information operations in a conflict. Um, you have... Uh, parties to the conflict, such as Russia, um, that are conducting operations that appear, you know, intended to influence events on the ground and, and bolster their own actions. And then also you have the attractive nature of of an important global event itself to bring in third-party actors to promote their own interests. Uh, so... This certainly seems as though it is at least a demonstration of, of what we can come to expect in future, um, even if to a certain extent it has met some expectations for what we would have thought would happen.
1: Our thanks to Alden Wallstrom from Mandiant for joining us. The research is titled The IO Offensive information operations surrounding the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and zero trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices and data anywhere they go